0: Amen. Please remain standing if you're able, and let us turn to Genesis 44 in our Bibles, page 38 in the Pew Bible, I believe. Genesis 44. This is God's holy word. Let us hear it with faith. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, "'Up, follow after the men, "'and when you overtake them, say to them, "'Why have you repaid evil for good? "'Is it not from this that my Lord drinks "'and by this that he practices divination?' You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack And he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant. For you are like Pharaoh himself, My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother Goes with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs. And evil to Sheol. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety. For the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. This is a very emotionally charged scene here in chapter 44. As we saw in the last chapter, Joseph has been testing his brothers, really testing them to see if they had changed or if they were still just as bad as they were all those years earlier when they treated him so poorly. He first tested them by imprisoning Simeon to see if they would uh, just abandon him the way they had abandoned Joseph so many years ago. Then he tested them again when they were back and having that meal and fellowship together he brought five times as much food from his table to Benjamin as he did to all the other brothers probably wanted to test them to see if that old sin of jealousy that had gripped them so much years ago if that would raise its head again and then now here in chapter 44 the testing continues and comes to a climax in verses 1 through 13, we see that Joseph framed his brothers. He framed them for a crime they didn't commit, for stealing from him. And this is all part of the testing process that he's putting them to. As the chapter opens, they're preparing to leave Egypt, preparing to go back home to their father. And all seems well. They've had that great time of feasting and fellowship with Joseph. They were amazed uh, at how well he treated them. Remember, they expected to be treated very harshly, perhaps even locked up in prison. And he didn't treat them that way. He'd stopped being suspicious of them, that they were spies. He released Simeon back to them. And they had that great time together. And now they're getting ready to leave and go back to Canaan. But Joseph wasn't done with them. The testing was not over. As they were getting ready to go, Joseph spoke to his steward. And he told them, fill their sacks with all the food they can carry. They also told them to put the money back into their bags. And More importantly, he said, put my silver cup in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, Benjamin's. And so the steward did what he was told, and then he sent the brothers on their way. But as they were on their way, before they'd really made any progress, while they barely left the city, Joseph told his steward, All right, I want you to go after them. And when you catch up to them, I want you to say this to them. Why have you repaid evil for good? Good good for evil? Is it not from this, the cup, that my Lord drinks? And by this that he practices divination, you've done evil in doing this. He's telling them, search everything they have. And when you find that cup... I want you to really stick it to them. Accuse them. And so that's exactly what happened. He caught up to them. There's this confrontation and accusations were made. And the brothers, of course, were shocked. And they were terrified. They couldn't believe this was happening. And they couldn't believe uh, these accusations were being made. They couldn't believe that they could be true either. Now, pause for a minute and think about Joseph doing this to his brothers. He's really, really putting them to a a hard test here. This is a little bit torturous. Some think he was being vindictive here, getting a little payback, a little more payback. He's already gotten some. Punishing these brothers for what they did to him. But that's not really what he's doing here. Again, he's testing them, and he's really testing them. He wants to show, to find out if they're going to show signs of real repentance. See, he wants to be reconciled to them. He wants that very much. We see that in the way he's treated them uh, in the previous chapter. But he hasn't really been fully reconciled to them yet, has he? And that's because they have not shown real repentance. How can you really be reconciled, fully reconciled to someone who has badly hurt you unless they truly repent of their actions toward you? You really can't. Now, in our situations, in our lives, often we have things like that happen to us, and we have to try to forgive those people who wrong us, even if they don't repent. Because otherwise, you just become bitter, and you carry that anger. But you can't really fully be restored to reconciliation unless that person repents of their sins. We know this in our lives. A relationship can't be made right again until the person realizes how wrong they were and how much harm they did to you and apologizes and seeks to make amends. So Joseph wants to see if that change is occurring in his brothers. Again, because he wants reconciliation with them. But really this testing isn't just about what Joseph wants. The Lord is at work in this. God is the one who's ultimately testing these brothers. And his testing process with them, that is part of the process of actually bringing about their repentance, leading them to repentance. God is using these circumstances. He's using these things that joseph is doing to work in the lives of these brothers through these tests and trials and god does the same in our lives he's able to use all kinds of difficult and painful circumstances as tests and trials that will draw us to faith in him and to repentance That's what he was doing here, and as we look at this last test, it really focuses in on Benjamin. Joseph wants to see what their attitude, uh, the attitude of these brothers, what, what it is toward Benjamin. Do they even care, really, about Benjamin, or is their attitude toward Benjamin like their attitude was toward him, Joseph? 20 years earlier, how will they treat him when he gets caught and is guilty and condemned, essentially, for this silver cup being found in his bag? Will they sacrifice him to save their own skin? In verses 7 and 9, the brothers heard this accusation and they answered the steward, they said, Why do you speak such things to us? Far be it from us to do such a thing. They're flabbergasted and they, they denied it. They denied any wrongdoing and they defended themselves as innocent. And as far as they knew, they were all innocent. Every single one of them fully believed that with all their hearts. And they said, Whichever one of your servants is found with it, with that cup, they shall die. And we also will be your servants. Now, obviously, this is because they, were, they felt absolutely certain that they were all innocent. There was no way that cup was going to be found. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made such a statement. Well, the steward lightened the punishment and he said, he who is found with it shall be my servant. The rest of you shall be innocent. And the search was made. One by one, each brother opened up his bags to be searched from the oldest to the youngest. And each felt vindicated as the cup was not found in their bag. Imagine it was getting a little more tense as they got close to the youngest. Finally, they came to Benjamin. He's the last one to have his bag searched. And as soon as it was opened, there was that silver cup shining in the sun. And the brothers were devastated. They were shocked. We're told they tore their clothes in dismay. And Benjamin was arrested. But it's actually a very good sign that we see there, these brothers tearing their clothes and, and grieving like this. They're all uh, devastated. They're all bro- broken by this. Now They've already heard the servants say, hey, the rest of you will be free. The rest of you are going to be innocent. Only the one who uh, is caught with that cup, is going to be held accountable. But they weren't happy. They weren't relieved that they were all free to go. They were devastated. They were broken. That's beautiful. That's a good thing. The commentator, Gordon Wenham, writes, when Joseph disappeared some 20 years ago, only his father, Jacob, Tore his clothes and grieved his loss. But now all his brothers tear their clothes and grieve. This is the first sign of genuine brotherly love and solidarity. So it's a good sign. These brothers were changing. Again, they were all absolutely free except for Benjamin. They all could have just breathed a sigh of relief and hit the road and gotten out of there. Too bad for Benjamin, they could have said, but at least we're still free. Let's go. Years ago, they probably would have done that. But now they're genuinely heartbroken and concerned for Benjamin. And they're not willing to abandon him to save themselves. And so they all went back to the city and to Joseph, weeping. And they didn't have to do that, but they did. And when they got back to Joseph, they threw themselves on the ground before him. And notice that. This is, again, an instance of them prostrating themselves. Before Joseph. This is the third time at this point, fulfilling his old childhood dreams of his family, coming before him and bowing before him. And this time it's a show of just absolute submission to him. They're basically groveling before him. But Joseph doesn't let up. He questioned them very sternly. He says, What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find out things by divination? And Joseph wasn't really uh, into divination. He didn't practice that. Remember, Joseph uh, long ago had told Pharaoh he had no powers like that. He couldn't do that uh, the way that the Egyptian diviners claimed to be able to do. He told Pharaoh plainly only God can reveal the meaning of dreams and of course God did through Joseph so Joseph was not engaging in these pagan occult practices that was just a a a ruse here to make himself um, look more powerful to look like an Egyptian Uh, and of course they did engage in in those things And this was also further intimidating to the brothers. Not only does this man have authority over us, but he can practice divination, and that's how we've been found out uh, through this. They knew they were in trouble. They were intimidated. Finally, Judah spoke. And he didn't try to justify Uh, himself or his brothers. He didn't protest. He didn't uh, claim innocence. He could have, again, separated himself from the guilty one or the one that uh, allegedly was guilty. But he didn't do that. He says, what shall we say? How can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are My Lord's servants, both we and he in whose hand the cup has been found. Notice here, even though Benjamin, again, Benjamin's the only one who is busted. He's the only one who's implicated. But the brothers stick by him. They don't distance themselves from him. They surely could have. Uh, that would have been the good move for self-preservation. But they insisted that they're going to stay and they're going to share his punishment. And Judah was confessing that he saw God's hand in all of this. He doesn't give uh, Joseph and his divination much credit. He says, no, nope, god, God's god got us. God found out our guilt He's recognizing God's providence. He's confessing the guilt of their past sins. And so while, yes, outwardly he's bowing with his brothers before Joseph, it seems like they're really bowing before the Lord. And confessing their sins to him. So they all committed themselves to to suffering punishment with Benjamin. That's amazing. And Joseph must have been very moved by this. Just the fact that they all came back to the city instead of continuing on their way and saving their own skin, that showed Joseph a huge change in these men. And Judah's confession uh, further confirmed that. It was a very emotional confession. Joseph must have been finding it hard to keep it together and keep his composure, seeing these things. But he said, far be it from me to punish all of you. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go in peace to your father. He's still testing them with this statement. He's pushing them. He's actually pushing them to take the easy way out. Get out of here while I'll let you go. Forget about Benjamin. Go back to your families and live your lives in freedom. Again, he's testing them to see if they will just give up and turn and betrayed Joseph, or Benjamin rather, like they did to Joseph years earlier. Here's your freedom. Just go. Forget about Benjamin. But they wouldn't. They wouldn't go. And Judah makes this moving plea. He reminds Joseph of everything that has happened. He basically retells the whole story of everything that took place and how Joseph just kept insisting to them that the youngest brother had to come back with them. And even though they told him how much uh, their father, Jacob, loved him and couldn't bear to part with him, but Joseph insisted, no, you got to bring that boy down here. And, And notice something. As he's telling that story, as Judah's telling that, over and over he talks about how precious Benjamin was to Jacob. Remember how jealous they were of that in the past when Joseph was so precious to their father. They were very jealous. But here, there's no, there's no jealousy like that. You don't see that. Even though they, they're clearly saying, this, this, is, this is our father's favorite, Joseph took note of that. He surely did. And the bottom line of what Judah says here, though, comes at the very end of the chapter. The the bottom line of his plea is that he wanted to trade places and suffer the punishment for Benjamin. Verses 33 and 34, he says, Please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. Let the boy go back with his brothers For how can I go back to my father if the boy's not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. This is a beautiful picture of voluntary substitution. Judah is offering himself as a substitute. And he begs to be allowed to be a substitute. He begs Joseph, punish me instead of him. He's willing to do anything to save Benjamin and to avoid hurting his father. But Joseph must have had a hard time hearing this, controlling himself, controlling his emotions. He's for sure seeing a beautiful, real change of heart in his brothers. Twenty years ago, they callously ignored Joseph's cries for mercy. In fact, it was jo- uh, Judah, rather, the same Judah, who suggested selling Joseph as a slave. And furthermore, they didn't care one bit how much their father loved little Joseph. In fact, that only made them angrier at Joseph. But now their remorse is real, and so is their concern for Benjamin and for their father. Of course, they've still got a long ways to go, but there's a great change that's taken place here in these men. we can see it, and Joseph saw it. This shows us the power of God to change the heart. And it shows us his commitment to doing his good work of transforming his people. That's a work that the Lord does in all of his people. Let's remember that as we think about our own lives and the change that God is doing in our hearts. He's doing that work in you if you're a believer. It's a beautiful thing. We need to be thankful. He doesn't leave us to ourselves to Uh, some kind of self-improvement regimen. He's at work by his spirit and his word to transform us. And we, too, have a long way to go. We should be very encouraged because our God will not give up on us. Think of all these years that went by, and the Lord did not give up on those people, those brothers. He was committed And he's committed to us as his people. He's committed to making us like himself. Notice something about Judah here. He didn't do this thing. He didn't take that silver cup. He was innocent. And so we see here a picture of one who is innocent yet willing to be counted guilty. The innocent one offers himself as a substitute for the one who is under judgment and facing punishment. And of course, his willingness to do this, his eagerness even to do this, points us to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus was innocent, fully innocent, without sin, impeccable, in fact. And yet he offered himself as a substitute, willingly, a substitute for guilty sinners, guilty, wretched sinners. He came to die in our place so that we might be spared and live eternally. You wonder, what what moved Judah to do this? What moved him to offer himself as a substitute? You know, in the past, he and his brothers basically operated with one thing in mind, and that was um, self-interest. That's not it here. It seems to be love. It's love that moved him to do this. For the first time, we're seeing love from these brothers. It's beautiful to see. Donald Gray Barnhouse comments and calls it, love so burningly manifest, so willing to take responsibility before God. Love which thought only of Jacob and Benjamin. Selfless love. Love like this moved Moses to ask God to blot out his name from the book of life if God refused to forgive the Israelites. And love like this prompted Paul to wish himself to be accursed, if that were possible. the sake of his brethren so they could be saved so Judah was showing love real love here for his father and brothers where did that change of heart come from well God of course God has been writing his law upon their hearts His law is fulfilled in love. He's forming his own character in these sinful men. That's so good to see. That is what God does in all his people. Paul writes, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. New creation. And we call that regeneration. That's the theological term for that work of God, bringing new life to the soul. But then begins a transformation that goes on throughout our whole lives, a lifelong process of being changed. Here's a question for you as you go home today. Does your life show signs of that transformation? Does your life show signs of love for God and for your fellow man? Or is it still geared toward self interest like those brothers were in the past? Well, God is committed to doing that work of transformation in each and every one of those who are His children. and He also calls us to be committed to that process. He calls us to join him in it and cooperate with him in that transformation. Philippians 2 is a great scripture to memorize and meditate on verses 12 to 20, uh, rather 12 and thirteen. Paul writes, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God does that work in you. And he's continuing to do that good work in you, believer. But he also calls you to work out what he has worked in. He calls you to be committed to be his servant and go through this transformation process willingly. Be committed to that process. Be committed to growing in grace and being his faithful follower, becoming like him through his word and through his spirit. Work out that salvation that he's given you as a full and free gift of his grace. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and give God all the praise and glory because it is all of his grace that he does this work in us. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good work in our lives. We praise you that you began it and will complete it. It is not always pleasant, especially when we go through testing and trials. The change process is hard, but the outcome will be good it will be very good and glorious you're making us like your son the perfect one the Lord Jesus we thank you that that is your commitment and you will not give up on us help us to trust in you help us to submit to you and to cooperate with your spirit in growing in your likeness we thank you Lord and we pray these things In Jesus' great and mighty name, amen.